I read this passage from Richard Foster's Celebration of Discipline a while ago. He talks about preparing for worship. It impacted me, and I want to share it with you. And I pray that we would know this holy expectancy here that he talks about. He says, When more than one or two come into public worship with a holy expectancy, it can change the atmosphere of a room. People who enter harried and distracted are drawn quickly into a sense of the silent presence. Hearts and minds are lifted upward. The air becomes charged with expectancy. Here's a practical handle to put in this idea. Live throughout the week as an heir of the kingdom, listening for his voice, obeying his word. (coughs) Since you have heard his voice throughout the week, you know that you will hear his voice as you gather for public worship. Enter the service ten minutes early. Lift your heart in adoration to the King of glory. Contemplate his majesty, glory, and tenderness as revealed in Jesus Christ. Picture the marvelous vision that Isaiah had of the Lord, high and lifted up, or the magnificent revelation that John had of Christ, with eyes like a flame of fire and voice like the sound of many waters. Invite the real presence to be manifest. Next, lift into the light of Christ the pastor and other worship leaders. Picture the Shekinah of God's radiance surrounding them, Inwardly release them to speak the truth boldly in the power of the Lord. When people begin to enter the room, glance around until you see someone who needs your intercessory work. Perhaps their shoulders are drooped or they seem a bit sad. Lift them into the glorious, refreshing light of his presence. See the burden tumbling from their shoulders as it did from pilgrims in Bunyan's allegory. Hold them as a special intention throughout the service. If only a few in any given congregation will do this, it will deepen the worship experience of all. Let's pray. So, Lord, let us now see you sitting on your throne, high and lifted up, the train of your robe filling the temple. Above it stand seraphim with their six wings, crying to one another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Father, as we see this picture of you in our mind's eye, we lift Graham, Laurie, and the worship leaders into the light of Christ. We see the Shekinah glory surrounding them, and we release them to speak and sing the truth boldly in the power of the Spirit. May you be glorified here today. We come into your presence with awe and wonder at your greatness to praise you. Lord Jesus, we recognize you as the author and finisher of our faith. We cannot earn our salvation. We can never do enough to be good enough. We are saved by grace, not works. We can rest from striving. You have done it all. Help us to understand this truth because there's such freedom in it. Teach us to abide in you. In the letter we received from you through Graham and Dedication Sunday, you told us you want our hearts more than you want our hands. So, Lord, forgive us for whatever reason we fall short of loving you. Forgive us when we have missed the mark and been cold towards you, when we are fearful, lazy, or indifferent. Would you draw our hearts to you? 
Give us a growing passion and love for you. Give us a hunger for your word and a thirst for your presence. And ignite and restore a first love passion for you in us. This is our prayer, Lord. Thank you for your great love for us. Father, we know there are Christians around the world who face danger and persecution. We think of the French family kidnapped in Cameroon just over a week ago. May they know your peace, strength, and presence with them, whatever they're facing. And we continue to pray for their safe release. You tell us in Scripture to pray for our enemies. So we pray for those who are part of the militant group responsible for their kidnapping, that you will break through in their lives with your truth. Enable them to see Jesus and hear of your love for them. We pray for Nozomi in Japan, Oscar and Ada in Nicaragua, those who work with Ratanak in Cambodia, that you would empower, refresh, and guide them. Would you bless them with fruit as they serve you around the world? Lord Jesus, we think of young Jaden, Jerry and Linda's grandsons, as he goes through radiation treatment in California. We pray for full recovery. We pray that your presence will comfort him through every treatment. And would you also comfort and strengthen Janet and Dave, Jerry and Linda. May they also know your perfect peace. I pray for those in our congregation who are struggling with broken relationships, who have lost a loved one, who face difficult circumstances, who are sick or suffering depression, who are looking for work. Would you meet and touch each one in their place of need? And Father, would you, he- would you hear us now as we bring you our personal prayers? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the leaders and staff at CPC asking for your presence to be powerful in every home, asking that you bless their families, strengthen them in their faith, and keep them from evil. We pray you will keep them sensitive to the voice of the Spirit as they seek your will, and that his voice and leading would be heard clearly. We ask for your hand on all of us, children, youth, young adults, the whole congregation, that you would grow us as a community of faith in unity, encouraging one another in forgiveness and grace. Thank you, Lord, that you hear our prayers. We ask them all in the powerful and holy name of Jesus. Amen. Together. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, Lord God, and we, we wait expectantly. Lord God, we want to hear your voice this morning um, as we hear the scriptures being read as we hear Graham coming up to preach this morning, Lord God. May it really be your voice, your message, Lord God, that speaks truly and clearly this morning. Lord God, we come, we wait expectantly, Lord God, because we want to hear your voice. We don't know a lot of times, Lord God, why things happen. So, Lord God, we ask and we pray, Lord God, that you would give us your vision, give us your perspective. Help us to see clearly, Lord God, and to remember always 
that you are on your throne. And we sing and we praise hallelujah to your name. Be with us this morning, Lord God, as we hear your scriptures. Illuminate them. Shine on them, Lord God. Make them clear to us. Help us, Lord God, to understand your word and your message this morning. And so we pray for these things in your name. Amen. So this morning is taken from the book of Habakkuk, uh, chapter 1, uh, all of chapter 1, uh, till chapter 2, verse 1. And uh, that's found in page uh, 662 in your pew Bible, 662 in your pew Bible. That's Habakkuk, chapter 1, verses 1, to uh, chapter 2, verse 1. And this is Habakkuk's complaint, as well as the Lord's answer, and Habakkuk's second complaint. The word says this, The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet received, How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that the justice is perverted. Look, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places not their own. They are feared and are dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like a vulture, swooping to devour. They all come bent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They deride kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all forfeited cities. They build earthen rams and capture them. And they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own strength is their God. O Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, we will not die. O Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment. O Rock, you have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You have made men like fish in the sea, like sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet, and so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and burns incense into his dragnet. For by his net he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep and emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answers I am to give 
to this complaint. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We begin a new uh, three-week sermon series. It's a short sermon series from the book of Habakkuk or Habakkuk. You can take your pick. Um, If you're a Hebrew scholar, you can inform us all what the actual best rendition of that is. So if I say Habakkuk or Habakkuk, we can use them interchangeably. Uh, New series is called Trusting God in Troubled Times. Um, Admittedly, the book of Habakkuk is not a common read. Um, perhaps some of you have done studies on it, but it's not the, the book of the Bible that we automatically know where it is. And we just open it up and there it is. Um, sometimes it gets lost in the, with the rest of the minor prophets in the Old Testament. The prophet Habakkuk um, is writing at the same time, roughly around the same time in history as another um, one of the major prophets, Jeremiah. And uh, they're both writing at a very evil time in the life of God's people. Um, they're writing just after the, the reign of King Josiah, um, who was actually a very godly king. Scripture gives an account of King Josiah. Um, there's a season of blessing for Israel, for God's people, because of um, King Josiah's godly reign, pointing the people back to God. But Josiah's sons were a different story altogether. Um, and they do evil in the eyes of the Lord. And so, um, as scripture, the Scriptures tell us, God's people and society in general falls into evil once again. They fall into troubled times. And so it's at that point that God raises up Uh, prophets like Jeremiah and Habakkuk to speak out, calling God's people to repentance and faith and trust in him. So Habakkuk is writing in around the late 7th century B.C. Um, His writing, though, is different from Jeremiah's. Um, Habakkuk's writing, as as you have already started to see, um, is very personal. Um, This is the prophet um, speaking very personally. It's almost a conversation between the prophet, Habakkuk, and God, it kind of goes back and forth. It's a little bit like we're getting a window into Habakkuk's prayer journal. Uh, I don't know if you ever had a sister growing up who had a diary that you broke into her room one uh, one day and you know found the key and opened it up and read. Um, shame on you if you did. But anyway, um, but that's kind of what we're seeing here. We get a, a window into Habakkuk's conversation with the living God. Might not be very common to us as far as our familiarity with ha- with Habakkuk. But it is very practical to us. And over the next three weeks, I think you'll agree that there's a lot that we can glean from um, this rather obscure part of Scripture. It's applicable to us because Habakkuk is writing to a people in troubled times. And my friends, we are in troubled times. We are in troubled times. When we look around us, when we take a look at society, when we watch the news, Evil seems to be everywhere. I know it's a sunny day out, so I don't want to rain on your parade, but, but when we look at the real world, there's evil all around, right? In fact, it's not just all around. It seems, evil seems to be winning. You watch the evening news and you hear about what's going on in various parts of the world. When you take a look at what's going on even in our own culture, there's, there's evil at worst, but even at best, it, there's a lot of uncertainty. I mean, we live in a world where the general election of Italy causes worldwide panic and concern. There's uncertainty in so many different areas of our society. There's trouble for people. There's heartache for people. And in the midst of all of this, it is very tempting for believers, for followers of Jesus to say, God, where in the world are you in all of this? When there is human trafficking occurring 
even in our own country. God, where are you in all this? There's conflict, there's destruction. Um, as Habakkuk says, the law seems to be paralyzed sometimes. Justice does not seem to prevail. That's the theme of this book. And it's the theme of our lives. How do we trust God in these kind of troubled times? Whether this is general trouble or whether it's trouble for you specifically in your life. Trusting God when things don't make sense. Trusting God when evil seems to be winning. That's what this book is about. It's what we're going to discover over the next three weeks. This morning, chapter one, what Al read for us, um, we're going to talk very, very clearly and concisely about three things. We're going to talk about what Habakkuk saw, what Habakkuk did, and what Habakkuk heard. So if you're the note-taking type, that's really easy for you. What Habakkuk saw, what he did, what he heard. First of all, what he saw. In verses 2 to 3, Habakkuk summarizes what he sees when he looks around him. And in two words, what he sees can be summarized this way. He saw evil and he saw injustice. The times were evil. Uncertainty and injustice appeared to be the rule of the day. You know, I was, uh, I was reading um, some... some uh, some writings on this, and, and they referred to Ecclesiastes 9.12. Um, and the author kept referring to Ecclesiastes 9.12 without actually telling me what it said. So I finally went to Ecclesiastes 9.12, and, and uh, does this not depict our day um, that we live in now? Ecclesiastes 9.12 says this, As fish are caught in a cruel net, or birds are taken in a snare, so men and women are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly Upon them. That just summarizes, I think, what Habakkuk's talking about for his culture and what seems to be the case for us, that, that, that evil times just seem to drop on us like a net. All of this evil and injustice is around Habakkuk and, and, and uh, it leads him to a lot of angst. In fact, when you look at the very first sentence that Al read for us in Habakkuk 1.1, it says, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet received. Did you know that that word oracle, not really a word that we use all that often, I think it's the name of a company, as I recall, but, but oracle, we don't use that in common sentences now and again, but, um, but in the Hebrew word, the word oracle, this oracle that Habakkuk received, it means burden. It means weight on the shoulders. This, 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 um, what Habakkuk sees all around him, this evil and injustice, it's, it's a burden for him. It weighs down on him. He looks around and he just feels the weight of it all. I think that's true for you and for me as well. When we look around either generally in our world or in our society or more specifically for our lives and we see the uncertainty and, and, and the evil and the injustice, it, it is like an oracle. It's like a burden that just weighs on us creates angst, just like it created for Habakkuk. But that's what he saw. Evil and injustice all around. That's what Habakkuk saw. What about what Habakkuk did, number two? How did he respond to what he saw? Well, we've got this prayer journal, as it were, before us in his response to God. And, and here, here's the key. What Habakkuk did and what Habakkuk said in response to the evil and injustice that he saw around him 
is critical. In, in fact, how Habakkuk responds to God in light of all that he sees around him, in light of the burden that he feels, I think is the key point for us this morning. So settle in here at number two. In his response to God concerning evil, concerning injustice, Habakkuk seems like he does two things, and he does them really, really well. First, he is really bold, and he is really honest before God. He is bold, and he is honest with God about how he sees things and how he feels about what he sees. I mean, look at verse 2 and 3. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, hey, Lord, violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. That's how he's talking to God. He challenges God. He holds God's feet to the fire. Do you see that? I mean, look at verse 12, skipping ahead. Verse 12, the first sentence. Oh, Lord, are you not from everlasting? Are you not from everlasting? Let me just let you know. That first phrase, oh, Lord, are you not from everlasting? That is not a phrase of worship. Because, yes, sometimes we sing praise songs to say, God, you are from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. And it, and it is worship. But, but this phrase, Lord, are you not from everlasting? That is not worship. That's, that's rhetoric. That's a rhetorical question. Literally, what Habakkuk is saying in that phrase is, Hey, God, <clears throat> I thought you were infinite. Aren't you? What in the world is going on? I thought you were from everlasting. Habakkuk is abrupt. He's even bordering on disrespectful before God. It's really unmatched in the Bible. Maybe, maybe Job might come close. But he just is so... He, he, he's bold. He's honest. It's the first thing he does well. And he just, he just lets God have it. And get this... <laughs> God puts up with it. God puts up with it. If God is God, God could have just looked at Habakkuk at that point and said, yeah, I've heard enough out of you. <laughs> From dust you came to dust return. But God puts up with it. And not only does God put up with it, but somehow in the sovereignty of God, God puts this account into Scripture. As if to highlight this behavior. Here it is. Here's how one author puts it. God understands how we humans speak when we are desperate. And he allows it. Did you know that? God understands how you speak when you are desperate. And he allows it. He is full of grace. You see, in order to mimic Habakkuk's behavior here, in order for us to speak boldly before God, we need a deeper understanding of the grace of God. 
You see, Habakkuk understood something here. He understood that in his covenant relationship with the living God, that relationship was not dependent on his behavior. It was not dependent on his actions. It was not dependent on whether God was scoring. Whoa, you know, you're speaking really nice and politely to me. It had nothing to do with his behavior and his actions. The covenant relationship with his God was based on grace. He understood God's grace at a profound level and so there spoke very boldly before God because he knew that God wasn't up there saying, well, if you speak nice to me, then you're still in the God club. If you say all the right words, I'll, I'll keep loving you. He understood God's grace. And so it led him to be bold and honest with God. He was bold and honest with God. That's the first thing he did well. Secondly, He remains faithful to God. Look at verse 12 as verse 12 continues. He says, Lord, are you not from everlasting? Gives him a good blast. And he continues the blast. But he says, my God, my holy one, you, Lord, my rock. Did you catch that? His boldness and his honesty is within a prayer. He's not writing a letter to the editor here of the local newspaper and just saying, let me tell you a few things about how I feel about the living God. (laughs) No, no. It's his prayer journal. He's speaking it to God and he refers, even as he's blasting God, my God, the Holy One, not just the Holy One, but my Holy One, my rock. (laughs) It's just... It's this unbelievable faithfulness that he has to God. His forthrightness, his boldness is, is, is done within this personal and relational connection with God. He remains faithful to God. In what Habakkuk says in chapter 1, he, he breaks the unwritten rules. On one hand, here's Habakkuk being bold and honest before God. And, and, and that flies in the face of one of the unwritten rules that you and I face as Christians. Here's the unwritten rule. The unwritten rule is never question God. I don't know whether we were taught that in Sunday school. I don't know, whether, I don't know where that comes from. But, but we carry that around. Well, you don't question God. Now, now, we didn't plan this. And so Lori will take this in the spirit in which I intend it. But, but I found a phrase that Lori prayed in her prayer this morning really interesting she asked god to forgive us i'm not quoting you directly so but forgive us when we question you i actually think that we don't need to confess that it looks like i'm throwing laurie under the bus please understand the spirit in which i intend this because because i I've, I've prayed that exact prayer that laurie like lord sorry i'm sorry for questioning you god I don't, I don't actually know that we need to confess that He's bold and he's honest. Flying in the face of this unwritten rule, never question God. But on the other hand, Habakkuk remains faithful to God even when things around him don't make sense. And that flies in the face of another rule. Here's the other rule. If God doesn't make sense, I'm out. If there's something about this Christian walk, this Christian thing, this Christian life that I'm learning about, if if there's something that doesn't make sense, I'm out. It's all got to make sense. That's the unwritten rule. And Habakkuk remains faithful to God even when it doesn't make sense. 
Never question God. If God doesn't make sense, I walk. And Habakkuk does neither of those. He buys into neither rule. Rather, Habakkuk assumes the posture of what Tim Keller calls unconditionally faithful wrestling. It's in the sermon plus notes that are right in your bulletin this morning. You can take them home, take the bulletin home with you. But, but there's that phrase, unconditionally faithful wrestling. Someone who assumes the posture of unconditionally faithful wrestling says things like this. God, I don't get it. I don't get all of this. It doesn't make sense what's going on around me or what's going on in me. It doesn't make sense. Plus, it really stinks. Where are you? Why aren't you doing something? Why do you tolerate this kind of wrong? Why do you make me look at all of this injustice? Aren't you from everlasting? But someone who assumes this posture also says, God, I'm upset. I'm upset, God. I wouldn't be upset if I knew you weren't holy, but you are. I wouldn't be upset if I could walk away, but I can't. If I struggle to make sense of all this evil, if, if, if I struggle to make sense of it all with you, how in the world could I ever dream of making sense of it all without you? Where else would I go, God? You have the words of eternal life. So I'm staying right beside you. Unconditionally faithful wrestling. My friends, that's what Habakkuk models for us. He's bold and honest. He feels free to let God have it, but he remains faithful. He chooses to stay in the embrace of God. What Habakkuk saw, what Habakkuk did, and finally, what Habakkuk heard. Specifically, what he heard from God. God's response to this complaint that he puts out. He says, God God responds in in verse 5. And God says, look at the nations and watch. Be utterly amazed, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. And he goes on to tell Habakkuk how he's going to deal with all this injustice and all this wrong that is around him. And essentially, if you read on, as as Al did for us, essentially this is what God's saying. I'm going to deal with the injustice and with the evil that is around by raising up the Babylonians. Essentially, God's response to Habakkuk is this. I'm going to deal with evil and injustice through more evil and injustice. I'm going to bring salvation out of violence and injustice. That's my plan. And as we sang this morning, that's just the way it is. See, God says, I told you you wouldn't get it. And you can just imagine Habakkuk going, like smoke coming out of his ears. Here's what God meant. I'm going to deal with the evil and injustice I see in my people by exiling them from the land I've given them into the hands of the Babylonians. That's a historical fact. Through violence and injustice, I will keep my promise to my people to bring salvation and redemption through them to the whole world. You see, the reality is we see something from our perspective in history. We know something now that Habakkuk couldn't yet see or know. We now know that when the, when the Jews were taken into exile by the Babylonians and they were scattered, some did come back to rebuild Jerusalem. We, we read that in Scripture. But some, a lot of Jews, stayed dispersed. They, they became the diaspora all around the Roman world. 
and they, they eventually began to set up synagogues as the Roman world expanded. In every major city of the Roman world, um, there were Jews worshipping as part of the diaspora, and, and they had synagogues there. And, and some Gentiles, some non-Jews, became um, God-fearers. They, they began to follow Yahweh. And when Christianity started to spread, when you read in the New Testament, and Paul goes off in his missionary journeys, it wasn't the, here, here it is, it wasn't the Jews who were the first converts necessarily. Uh, it, it wasn't the, the pagan Gentiles who were the first to believe in and follow Jesus. It was rather these Gentile God-fearers who, who had begun to follow Judaism as a result of the Jews being scattered by the exile. That's how the, the early church got its root in the Roman world and began to expand literally around the world. Through them, God began to spread the Christian message throughout the known world. Salvation and justice and redemption out of injustice and violence and oppression. Do you see it? In fact, in Acts Acts 13, 41, Paul quotes Habakkuk 1, 5, what's on the screen for you, or at least part of it. He's having this evangelistic speech to the crowd where he's telling them about forgiveness of sins in Jesus. Acts 13, he, he talks about how everyone who believes is justified by faith. And then he quotes Habakkuk 1.5 to the people. And he says to them, take care that what the prophets, prophets have said doesn't happen to you. When he said to them, I am going to do something in your days that you would never believe, that you won't believe even if someone tells you. He says, be careful that that doesn't happen to you. What's he saying? Well, I think this is what he, part of what Paul's saying in that Acts 13 passage. He's saying that this principle that God put forth um, to Habakkuk finds its ultimate supreme expression in Jesus. What do I mean by that? This whole notion of God bringing salvation out of, of injustice and out of judgment finds its pinnacle in the work of Jesus Christ. Through Jesus, God says, I am going to bring ultimate and final salvation out of judgment. I will bring redemption out of injustice. I will bring light out of darkness. And my friends, when we read the scriptural account, Jesus was unjustly judged for our salvation. He was wrongly accused. He was wrongly convicted. And he was crucified for our sin. Redemption out of injustice. He was treated, he was whipped, he was treated so unjustly to secure our redemption. And so this whole notion of God using oppression and injustice and evil and out of that to bring redemption, that's the Habakkuk model, finds its pinnacle in Jesus. And by the way, as I wrestled with it this week, In the midst of it all, in the midst of Jesus doing all of this for you and for me, we celebrated communion last week. In the midst of that, isn't it beautiful that Jesus remained an unconditionally faithful wrestler? Think about it. He modeled Habakkuk. There Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, hours before his unjust crucifixion. And what is is Jesus doing? He's wrestling with God. Oh, God. Is there another way? Could you take this cup from me? Are you sure you know what you're doing? He's wrestling with his heavenly father. And yet in the same wrestling match, what does he say? Yet not my will, but yours be done. You're in charge, father. Unconditionally faithful wrestler. On the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
wrestles with his heavenly father again. Do you know what you're doing? But his last words, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Unconditionally faithful wrestling. Because of what Jesus went through on our behalf, we face our troubled times differently, uniquely, whether it's in the society or whether it's in your own life. The cross changes our perspective on our troubled times because we may feel abandoned, but we are not because of what Jesus has done. God is working salvation out of struggle. Light will come out of this darkness. So as, as we finish up, let me ask you this. What's the burden? What's the oracle that you face on your shoulders this morning? Maybe, maybe your life, your particular life is going well right now, and, and it's just something out there. When you, when you watch the news or you, you, just, you get a sense of injustice in our world, and, and it doesn't make sense to you. Where is God's redemptive action currently unclear for you? Maybe it is something personal for you where you're wrestling with something particular in your life and you look around and you say, God, I don't don't see you here. I don't see how your redemptive action could be at work here. Where are you, God? Let me ask you that. In in that context, with that in mind, whatever that that is for you, let me ask you, and the, the Sermon Plus material for this week and the bulletin just lead you to that for this week. Let me ask you this question. What would it sound like, what does it sound like for you to be an unconditionally faithful wrestler before God in that circumstance? I believe God would say to you this morning, based on what we've studied in Scripture, I believe God would say to us, it may not make sense to you, I move in mysterious ways. My ways are not your ways. But I have not abandoned you. I will bring light out of this darkness, redemption out of this injustice, salvation out of this oppression. So look for me, wait for me, trust me, and be amazed. Let's pray. God, we have sung this morning that you would give us the vision to see things like you do. Oh, God, would you do that for us? God, we are going to be singing in just a few seconds, Savior, he can move the mountains. And we've got mountains in our society, in our world. We've got mountains in our own lives that seem immovable. God, position us to be unconditionally faithful wrestlers before you even this week and let us witness your miraculous move in our lives. just want to encourage you, if you would like uh, to have someone pray with you, um, if that's something you're comfortable with, we would love to do that. If you've got a mountain um, that you would like prayer for, we'd love to pray with you. You're welcome to do that. You're also welcome just to sit where you are and pray quietly. There's no one going to put pressure on you. Um, if you have kids in the kids' church, maybe your spouse can go and get them, or even if you both want to pray, um, they'll hang on to them. They won't release them. Don't worry. Um, just take a moment to seal what God may, may have spoken to you this morning. Um, we'd love for you to do that and to, to seal that time and uh, before you leave here today. My friends, as we leave this place, 
Receive the good word. Receive the benediction. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the deep love of God our Father, and the fellowship and presence and power of His Holy Spirit rest on you and remain on you this week and forevermore. Amen. Go in peace, my friends. Have a great week.